Support for Elwood City Limits is made possible by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Email. Elwood City Limits at gmail.com. And by subscribing on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. Thank you. And, and my free time. Well, well, well. Isn't this a surprise? It's, uh, this is probably the third time I've said it's been a minute since we kicked it, but it's true. It has been a couple of minutes. It's been a whole uh, couple of holidays here, but welcome back to the first Elwood City Limits podcast of 2017. This is Will Young coming at you, and I'm here as always with my co-host. We made it both into the millennium, myself and Lucas Mancini. I got a good feeling about 2017, Will. I've started eating a lot of hummus. Mm. I feel really great about the year to come. Yeah, you're not a, you're not a big guy, but one of your resolutions, I'm to understand, is to lose weight or just or just get no, healthier. No, not lose weight. No, uh, specifically, just to eat better. Okay. I, I'm not much of a good cook. Uh, even though I have such Italian heritage, you yeah. think that would have been passed on? It's not genetic, unfortunately. Oh, well. So I've I've tried to um, sort of reorient my diet away from the easy to the healthy. So mm. no, I understand. Uh, my my uh, my mother's uh, heritage is Polish, so I didn't inherit any cooking skills from her <laughs> either. So all the best to you, of course. Um, my New Year's I don't really have a New Year's resolution. It kind of started before in December. I decided to. Uh, join a gym, and the financial aspect of joining the gym has been a big motivator. So I'm continuing that, and it's going uh, it's going pretty well. I'm glad to have regular exercise in my life. Uh, before we get started today, uh, a couple things, uh, of course. Uh, this being the Episodic Arthur podcast. Thank you for joining us. If this is your first episode, uh, then we will be taking a look at Meek for a Week and Arthur world's greatest gleeper. Now, um, if you're not following us on Facebook, you may have missed this. Lucas, did you do oh, the... You didn't do the quiz I, that I, I sent you. I forgot, no. Well, it's it's more of a kind of a fun thing. It's, uh, yeah. how, it's a, a quiz that I couldn't resist when I saw it. It's how garbage are your Arthur opinions? <laughs> and it, and it, uh, it, you know, it doesn't, you know, make fun of you or anything, but it is kind of a popularity poll of like, uh, which do you think is the best main cast character? Which do you think is the worst? And then like kind of where it all uh, squared up. Uh, as I recall, you know, kind of uh, it's interesting, almost, almost like uh, almost like Shonen Jump manga polls of just like you can kind of guess what the top are going to be. Aww. Well, I mean, so like of like, for example, you know, favorites of the main cast uh, of the five choices is Arthur, Buster, Francine. Muffy in the brain. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, right at the top, practically neck and neck, like 50% are Arthur and Buster. Uh, and then, of course, uh, there are like favorite child characters. And, of course, DW is taking that in a landslide. For sure. Mr. Ratburn taking a favorite adult character in a landslide. Uh, sec- uh, first and second is Dad Reed, and then a couple of others. They, oh, they, 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 they include some of the newer characters who I immediately didn't recognize so <laughs> um but it's an interesting one of course it's a buzzfeed community post you can find it on elwood city limits on facebook uh now this one i didn't share with you lucas i was wondering if maybe this had found its way to you there was a mashup done by the youtube channel is this how you go viral and I, i'm a big fan of that channel because they do um a lot of 
uh, kids show mashups kind of lip reads with uh, different uh, usually rap songs. Right. So, I've seen. I've definitely seen the. I think they did the like Sesame Street. Sesame Street Crossroads. Uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony. Yeah, that's right. And shout out to their. I think it is it. Grover is the Crossroads one, and then there's another one where they do Nate Dogg and Warren G with Regulators. Yes, yes, Regulate. Um, my favorite one is Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, uh, set to uh, uh, Shimmy Shimmy Ya by ODB. It's hilarious. <laughs> so the one that they most recently did was a mashup of Arthur from the new, from the kind of newer season and uh, – Oh my gosh! I'm so excited to hear what rap song this is. It was uh, "Not Afraid" by Eminem. Oh, okay. It worked pretty well, and I must say that the editing is incredibly good because it's all because it all looks like it's lip synced. So it must take uh, such a long time to do. So is this how you go viral on YouTube? I will also be posting it on our social media channels, uh, and that is uh, "Not Afraid," Eminem. And Arthur works very well. Definitely recommend you check it out. Much like new seasons of Arthur, I feel very similarly about new Eminem music. Mm. So keep that in mind. Fair enough. (laughs) Okay, so remember, if you're following along with us here in the podcast, best way that you can – well, I should actually, I shouldn't say best way. A way that you can uh, find these Arthur episodes is by searching them into Google. It may give you legal ways to do so. If you're American, pbskids.org is the best way to do that. If you're not, like us, if you're Canadian, Google search. And the rest I will leave up to you. I shan't name names or drop any dimes. That's right. You ain't no snitch, Will. No, certainly not. We're moving into our first episode. This one is Meek for a Week. So this one, a Francine-centric episode. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not about Drake and Meek Mill's beef or, or conversely, the game and Meek Mill's beef. Oh, no, Lord. it's about Francine. No, it, it, no, it's not Meek Mill for a week. <laughs> Goodness gracious, Meek, Meek Mill. Meek Mill for a week would be a fun episode, though. <laughs> How would uh, how would that work? I don't. I don't know. You're in Philadelphia. Everybody's talking mess about you on Twitter. You date Nicki Minaj. Lots of fun okay. plot points. That's not that bad. But no, we're talking Meek for a week as in the dictionary definition, not the name of the uh, 2010s rapper. Uh, we start off with Arthur talking to the camera, uh, saying that Francine does some goofy things. And we get some example of the goofy things she does, uh, such as walking on her hands all day, which they cut to them playing basketball. Arthur passes her the ball. She grabs it between her legs and manages to hit... I want to say, is, was that a half-court shot? All I know is it looks like Francine might grow up to invent CrossFit. Yeah. <laughs> That's some good core strength, especially for someone her age. Right. It was, no, it was really impressive, especially because when she throws the ball, it's at, like that, it's at a really weird angle, and somehow it manages to get like an updraft. Like she pressed triangle in Just Cause 3 or something. Like, like, like she used aftertouch in Burnout. <laughs> uh, video game references. Then drumming on the roof of her apartment at sunrise. Which we get some great dialogue from the sort of extras in this scene. The building's collapsing. (laughs) No, it's somebody playing drums. (laughs) And it's so annoying. This is also, I think, the first time we see the outside of uh, Francine's home, her like apartment complex. Yeah, she's the one who kind of like everybody else kind of lives in a house or if you're Muffy, a mansion. But uh, Francine actually lives in an apartment complex with her family. Which would be fun to go up on that roof. But not fun for your neighbors because Mm. they all in protest 
uh, meter on top of the roof. That's right. And then finally, uh, painting a life-size portrait of an elephant in her bedroom. A pink elephant, I might add. Uh, this On the walls. On the walls, yeah. Absolutely. Now, this gave me a great look ahead to one of my favorite adult characters, who is uh, Oliver Frensky, who I'll have you know I voted for in the BuzzFeed quiz. Now, that was at the that was at the neglect of both Mr. Ratburn and Arthur's dad. Oliver Frensky, I feel, is a is a slept on character. Uh, her her parents come into the room. Her mother is horrified. Her dad kind of <laughs> like looks at it for a second, nods his head. And he's not bad. Accurate proportions. <laughs> now is is Oliver Frensky's voice actor the same as Arthur's dad? Do you know that or I don't think that he is because I remember looking in the credits and Arthur's dad is the same voice actor as Binky. Oh, now that's that's weird. If, if you listen, you can kind of hear it. It's not super obvious because he's a really good voice actor, but there are certain points like if you're if you're listening for it, you can kind of hear it. Because it's not uncommon for the main voice actors to voice a bunch of roles. That just is basic economics. Yeah, we get but it. But usually I can usually I can hear it when it's a Buster. There's mm. a lot of the extras or Arth- played by or Buster. Arthur, I find. Uh, or another, Arthur. There's another one later in this episode that is just Arthur with a deeper voice. But uh, Binky and Arthur's dad, that's some range. Yeah. Uh, so then Arthur says something to the effect of like, then she did something that none of us could believe. Do you ever notice that Arthur introduces the episodes in the cold open like it like it's a BuzzFeed article? <laughs> like, you'll never believe oh, what Francine did next. You're saying are the, the cold opens are essentially clickbait. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> They're the PBS Kids 1990s version of clickbait. And, I mean, of course, they were meant to get you interested in the rest of the show. So, uh, I mean, whether it was successful or not is up to your interpretation. So one of the uh, big, not themes, but kind of tying elements of the uh, of this episode is street hockey. So we start off with Arthur and his friends playing street hockey against the to-be-named tough customers. The safest street hockey I've ever seen. Everybody's wearing elbow pads, knee pads, and helmets. Now, this is because they're on rollerblades, which adds an extra level of danger to the street hockey. And, but I, and because this is a PBS show. For sure. I, I just wanted to point out that in my days of playing street hockey, I have never seen people this ducked, decked out in safety gear. So congrats to the kids. I'm sure they're avoiding plenty of broken collarbones or scrapes and bruises. Yeah, getting pretty lucky there. Uh, Francine, of course, is the alpha of uh, Arthur's team. She's very much the leader stealing the shots, which is, I mean, to be fair, it is to the team's advantage because she's a very good player, but also leaving them out of the fun. Don Cherry would call her a hot dog. <laughs> you think so? For sure. I mean, that is the definition. Well, yeah, I, guess, I thought maybe more a hot dog was more of someone who excessively taunts or kind of showboats. Like Hulk Hogan's a hot dog. I guess. Uh, but, that, it's also, but, that's, but that's the Randy Savage definition of a hot dog. <laughs> that's you're talking, true. He's, you're talking he's, Don Cherry. I'm not Hulk, familiar. Hulk Hogan has been known to hot dog, like as an as an adjective. Yes. He's been hot dogging. Verb. verb. Uh, a verb, right. But, um, sorry. sorry. Uh, but Francine, I guess she's more of a ball hog or a puck hog. Hmm. Puck hogs, hot dogs, ball hogs. A lot of pig references here. <laughs> Good thing that there's no pig characters on the show. Uh and she even drops like a, uh, you know, if you want us to win, then just give me the ball. And then 
Muffy says, you're so rude, Francine. And she just drops a, I guess the truth hurts. And I'm like. <laughs> Savage. And yeah, this is really one of those things where, you know, in one of the earlier episodes, I tried to be nicer to Francine. I kind of saw things from her her level. This one, it's kind of it's kind of hard to love her sometimes sort of thing. She is very, very aggro. I guess. I, I do I do admire her competitive spirit and you have to look I mean it's a kid's it's a kid's street hockey game. Yes. This isn't this isn't the major leagues. But she does have a point. They do do better when she's got the ball. Yeah, it's it's one of the it's one of those like she's she's so good it's easy to hate her, but you gotta give her respect because she's not totally without merit. She's got- like LeBron James. Mm. LeBron Frensky over here. Uh, <laughs> gotta say, love the tough customers teams jersey. It's like that. It looks like a baseball tee almost. It's like gray and it's got this like orange circle with black background and a yellow lightning bolt. Mm-hmm. I want that shirt. It's very similar to the um, oh god, what's that team's name? The Thunder or the Tam- no, 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 the Tam- no, no, the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's, sorry, yeah, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Thunder is a, a different sport. But yeah. yeah, the Tampa Bay. It's the like the Tampa Bay Lightning logo, but colored swapped. But mm. only the modern Tampa Bay Lightning Lightning logo with the circle around it. Right. Uh, so Muffy gets a chance at a shot. Uh, she doesn't take it in time, and they end up losing because of it. On the way home, France... Which is partly Arthur's fault, because it's not just she's indecisive. Uh, Francine's yelling at her to pass it to her, and Arthur's yelling at her to take the shot. So it is, I would say, it's almost equally Arthur and Francine's fault as it is Muffy's. Well, well, I don't know about that, because the way that they they set it up is that Muffy has a clear shot, but if she passes to Francine, Francine is being flanked by all of the other forwards and wings. Oh, so I didn't notice that detail. So it's, so it's like really risky. You're t- so it's a calculated risk. You either shoot it yourself or you give it to Francine, who's the better player, but will immediately get flanked by everybody else. So that was kind of the decision there. So Muffy tries to take a shot, is too slow, and then they end up losing. So on the way back home, Francine kind of sulking about it. And like speaking of, speaking of Savage, she's like, <laughs> she 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 chides Arthur for saying that. She says, why'd you tell Muffy to shoot? You know she's about the worst player there ever was. I'm like, <laughs> This isn't fun anymore, man. Well, Muffy gets her back later, too. That's true. Uh, So, of course, Muffy, very offended. Francine kind of uh, ignorant as to why. Like, she really doesn't seem to think that her words... Uh, have repercussions, which of course, much younger. It's it, t- it takes a while to for some people to realize that she's very matter of fact about the situation. Yeah, uh, she kind of catches up with Muffy and says, "May you know, maybe I would learn how to play better if you let me play." And she gives, she says, "You're like a walking, talking poke in the eye." Yeah, Muffy says that. I thought that is... I thought that was a really really pointed description. I and I've never heard that insult feel. before, but that's definitely one I'm gonna keep in my back yeah, pocket. Yeah, it's, it's not even like an insult. It's just like a great description of someone whose character fits that of just like this constant aggravation to to Muffy. And to which Francine responds, I'm one of the nicest people in the whole school. And if you don't know that, you're a dope. <laughs> which, I, yeah, some great banter. Yeah, really bringing the hashtag big banter. It's uh, it's like we're watching a Sorkin episode or something here. <laughs> I don't know so much about a walk and talk, but she's got... Uh, It's like she's one of the kings of comedy. She's (laughs) she's really bringing the fire. Then Muffy lays down a challenge for her that if Francine could be nice for a whole week, then she'll give. Then Muffy will give Francine the Princess Peach watch. So I was going to ask if I misheard that. 
Princess Princess Peach, Peach TM watch. Did I, I, did Nintendo approve this? It's shaped like a heart. Uh, it's not like it's not even really peach colored. It's kind of like red. It's red with like maybe I think it's like an orange outline. Did they call up Awada song at the time and say, "Listen, we have this cartoon." I think it was just they thought of a name that was a uh, princess, and then they wanted another P word, and they maybe they didn't know about the existence of the Princess Peach. How could you not know? About Princess Peach? I don't know. If you're an adult, you're an animator, you don't like video because games. I this is this is the nineties, right? Princess Peach isn't wasn't as much in the spotlight. She okay. wasn't playing tennis and and she would have just started but, to go kart. Okay, so here's my counter though, is that when did Super Mario sixty four come out? Super Mario 64 would have been, I think, 90. It was either like 95, 96. Okay, so we may be close. Because, look, I'm no video game historian, especially right off the cuff. But, you know, Super Mario 64 is one of the games where Princess Toadstool or Daisy was named Peach. And then that's kind of the name they went for from there. Now, these kind of coming around the same time, maybe they just picked a name out of the ether and really didn't realize. Because at, at the time, you're right. You'd have to be really tuned into games to know the name of the princess in Mario. That's because what at I, that point, it's all about Mario. That's what I think Har- happened. Hardly like, even about Luigi at that point. <laughs> Poor Luigi. Um, yeah, I think the most likely explanation is maybe just the writers of Arthur weren't that into video games, uh, I sure. assume. But it's something it's, lo- it's, it's kind of weird looking back like, would this fly today? Like <laughs> if I was just watching um, – let me think of a kid's show that's on these days. Uh, like Adventure Time and someone just pulls out a Sonic the Hedgehog watch or I guess Ro- uh, Rose the – Rouge the Bat watch. It'd be a little strange. I suppose it would be. Uh, yeah, I gotta believe that it's just kind of pulling it from the ether. Although I'd love to ask, hey, if you're a, if you're an Arthur writer from 1995-1996, uh, send us an email and tell us about the Princess Peach watch. Uh, also, it's one of those cool watches back in the 90s that tells days along with the time. Nice and digital. No, no more clock face. You don't need that. Regular re- Casio. Yeah. So... Francine agrees that she has to be nice for a week. Meek for a week. Meek Mill for a week. Uh, is Meek Mill a nice guy? Uh, I wouldn't say so, no. <laughs> so, I, I, so, I, I would so, say so, Meek so, Mill very much is not a nice guy. So next time you see Meek, Meek Mill video, uh, look for the Princess Peach watch because I bet he doesn't have one. <laughs> this challenge is really funny to me because uh, me and my girlfriend, my girlfriend loves International Big Brother. So the Big Brothers uh, seasons from the UK, the UK. and Australia specifically. Okay. Sure. Uh, she's a huge fan and they're all on YouTube. So it's easier for her to just kind of put on in the background while she's doing something else. Um, and International Big Brother is a lot more – it's a lot less game uh, gamified okay. and a lot more just based on personal drama. It's not about people trying to win or lose. It's just you know what happens when a bunch of people live together and there's cameras. Yeah. Uh, but one thing they will do is they have these challenges where they'll give it to one specific person in the house mm. and they can't tell the other people in the house about it I and it will be their challenge for the day. This is straight out of Big Brother UK. Be nice to everybody and don't, like, let them know that it's a challenge from up high. Yes. That's, like, I think that might just be one that they do. So that's what I was thinking of when I heard Muffy's challenge. So this is interspersed, uh, you know, various challenging times of Francine is interspersed with, like, the clock going forward, days and hours and stuff. Yeah, it's a cool transition. It reminds me of, like, 
the hand episode with the hand turning the pages. Yes. I love it when they do this when they show the or, passage. Or, or like the calendar. The Yeah, I love when they show the passage of time with like a unique transition. Yeah, I thought that was a neat way of doing it. So the first one is uh, – <laughs> this, this was a great way to start a scene. It's a wonderful delivery from Buster. Where did you get that weird sweater? <laughs> and then so we cut to Arthur who's wearing this uh, never, never seen before, never again – uh, I, in my notes, I called it Arthur's Hotline Bling Sweater. Oh, there's so many burns. It's, but there's also a lot of positive things you could say. I think this kind of sweater has really kind of come back. Yeah. With the 90s, it's sort of that notorious B.I.G. sort of colorful Bing, Bill Cosby uh Fedor Emelianenko, whatever descriptor you want to use, there's a lot of people that have rocked this specific look. Yeah. It, 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 and but it's quite it's quite loud and uh, outrageous. Very much not into Arthur's normal yellow. And like you said, Buster really he with the inflection of his tone, he's really like, boy, if you don't like, he's really <laughs> excited about the possibilities of roasting Arthur because of this sweater. Yeah, and so of course Francine kind of sees it, uh, chuckles to herself, and is about to let Arthur have it, but. Uh, Muffy has to remind her to be nice, so she just says, it's nice, and walks away. Uh, she has another encounter with Buster the next day where they're about to uh, – Buster's about to go for bat, and um, Francine is about to take the bat away from him and then just and then kind of has to double back and be like – you know, it's like, Buster, let me bat for you. Unless you'd rather bat. You just look a little tired. Feel okay? <laughs> and it's I, I kind of noticed uh, throughout, you know, all these things where it's like uh, Francine has to uh, kind of draw back her – natural mean streak and like you know she's teaching Muffy how to play uh, hockey better and then Muffy kind of collides into her and she's about to yell at her and then has to take it back it's funny how forced uh, Francine's kindness is and they have to make her super abrasive in other parts of the show to really emphasize the contact the con the contrast maybe more abrasive than she'd be normally but it's like you really have to show the extremes of Francine's personality from this forced politeness to like as like rather callous to friends of hers the one thing I was impressed with by it's the voice acting thing where you're playing a character who's essentially playing a character yes which when you're two levels removed like that it's always a complicated and difficult thing to do so props to Francine's voice actress some fantastic delivery on sort of correcting herself and attempting to be nice like when you mentioned her trying to teach Muffy how to play hockey better she gets frustrated and sort of starts to uh, kick a wall or something and well, yeah she's just like can't you do anything wrong that was near perfect like really turning on a dime and so after that, when Muffy almost catches her kicking the wall, this is I love this line. She goes, <laughs> yeah. are you imp- as impressed as I am of the durability of brick? <laughs> like, and that's the other thing is that um, Francine can't be mean to other people, but like she can't be angry either. Like she wasn't being angry to anybody. She was just kind of venting her inner frustration. But like, is she not supposed to ever show any sort of negative emotion at all? I think I think that's a, li- a little much. Maybe they just don't want her to be mean in general. They don't want her to be a bad, bad Leroy Brown. <laughs> a bad, bad Leroy Frensky. The bad, baddest Frensky in the whole dang town. So they mention a couple of things like that they've noticed that Francine has kind of made up for in the last week. And Brain says that she replaced the football that she threw down the <laughs> sewer. And, my, and like I had to pause the episode for a second. I was like, how do you throw a football down a sewer? 
Must be wide sewer gates. Uh, you you would you would have to be like those wide ninety sewer gates or something because like footballs are not small or, and they're and they're a weird what or it was a very small football. Oh, like a koosh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I buy that. Like a Nerf football. All right. But still, I was I was just like like trying to picture that in my head. I'm like, it's not it's not really going. So Muffy is on her way to Francine's for dinner. And uh, they have they have a f- fun interaction at the house where Muffy kind of clears her throat, and then Francine's just like, "Father, let me help you with those." Francine's sort of she's gone like full Stepford wife at this yeah, point. Yeah, really. Like, this is what I I, I really love the delivery um, from Francine's voice actress in this episode because there's like. It, it's just funny because it's like robotic, but it's you can kind of hear that she's delivering the lines through her teeth. Yeah, in a they're way. so forced. Yeah, and like in a in a positive way. Um, and then she's about to yell at Catherine. She's just like, "Well, your clothes." And there's like you notice like whenever she's like the visual signal of whenever she's wants to explode is her kind of shaking, and you get kind of that shaking sound effect. And yeah, then, this sound effect that's supposed to represent like Francine's internalized rage, yeah. her forcing her rage within. It's this bizarre like it's a mix of like bubbling and like lava. Like it, yeah. it, it's so awesome because I've never I've never thought about this kind of trope where someone has to pretend they're not mad or they're kind of forcing their emotions down. I've never heard this like accompanying bubbling before. It's really uh, imaginative. And it's a really funny audio visual gag. Yeah, absolutely. So after the dinner, we cut actually to Francine's friends who are gathered in the lunch table at, in the lunchroom. Uh, just a great pair of lines here of just like Francine's friendly, helpful, pleasant. Arthur says, in which Buster responds with Arthur, I'm scared. <laughs> it's like her being nice is so foreign that it's just seems to be some sign of doom to come. That's right. The calm before the storm. Right. Which uh, Brain goes on to explain in detail. Yeah. He he uh, uses the demonstration of like a soda bottle and is kind of shaking it up as they talk and saying that as Francine kind of suppresses her rage, the pressure builds until it becomes too much. And just like the soda, she will pop and over and like... They they keep saying she'll pop and like she'll just explode in rage just as the bottle explodes in fizzy soda. And I must I must mention here, Frank the bunny in the background kind of seems to be looking at their conversation when the uh, when the bottle overflows. Then Arthur kind of gasps and you can see Frank kind of do the same thing. He seems so, very concerned from like another table away. I would be if I saw someone just like shaking a full bottle of Orange Crush. I'm like, man, that's a waste of soda. Yeah. Um, the question I had here was, and they kind of answer it later on in the episode, but it's still a little bit confusing, is are the kids worried that Francine is going to literally pop? Right. Or are they worried she's going to emotionally pop? Because they are children. So – are they misinterpreting Brain's explanation, or does Brain even believe himself that Francine's going to combust if she continues to force her emotions inward, or do they just think she's going to like really freak out at them? I, I just don't think they've ever seen a seen an example of like this level of of rage suppression, and they are afraid that it could have disastrous physical consequences. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think it's weird that they want her to stop being nice, but they know it's 
not her. So, like, they don't want her to suppress her anger. But it's weird because you would think that they would be all for her being nice, but... It's also interesting of just like, well, that's not who she is. Like, they're okay with the fact that she gets angry very often and will explode at other people. She's an emotional gal. And sometimes that, as we'll learn later on, sometimes that works to their advantage. And it does. And I mean, it does say something of that they would rather Francine be herself than rather uh, lie about it. So So their plan is to kind of make her pop so that it doesn't happen at an inopportune time. Because, like, they just they have to fill her with so much rage that she'll go over the top and then kind of go back to normal. So, one of the, the first thing they do is they meet her at the sugar bowl, and Arthur gets a soda for her, and it's cherry. And uh, I, I quite like this because, you know, Francine's about to kick up a fuss of just like, Arthur, you know, I don't like cherry. And then <laughs> has to drink it, just like, maybe I haven't given enough of a chance. And it's awesome because, uh, first of all, I hate cherry flavor. So I completely understand disliking it to the point of like, like really being upset about it. Uh, and then the face that she makes when she's trying to slurp, like she does it all in one gulp so she can get over with. And it's just like this completely disgusted look on her face and I absolutely again I understand completely if I had to drink cherry soda that would be my reaction we also get this great thing where she like slams the glass down like she's at a dive bar or something (laughs) give me like give me another (laughs) or like give me don't give me any more then like Buster kind of goes up to her and, and says like you know Binky Barnes says he could beat you at any sport any day and she kind of d- dismisses this one rather quickly of just like, perhaps he's speaking. Oh, this line is so good. Per- perhaps he's speaking boastfully because he's insecure or he's practiced a lot and he really can beat me. You know, like things that normal people would think. But the implication is that if she had heard that, Francine would go ape and like just completely like take the fight to Binky. It's a great detail, though, because like. If Binky actually did say that, it probably would come from some place of insecurity. Like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it was a very wise, like a very astute observation. It was one of the things where m- most of the gags of Francine pretending not to be herself are kind of frivolous. And it's like, oh, isn't this funny? She has to be nice and she doesn't like doing that. Yeah. But this one, it almost seems like oh, this is kind of like a good lesson if Francine would legitimately learn and <laughs> yeah. adhere to this advice. Sure. So then they imagine what it will be like when Francine's head, like when when Francine pops, which becomes Francine's head literally coming off in this imagination sequence. This is this is wild. We get a dream sequence out of the Mystics of Bali because Francine's that's, dis- okay. That's above my pay grade. It's an pal. Indonesian horror film about uh, an ancient Thai folklore. Oh yes, it's okay. A floating head movie. Yeah, okay. I know Mystics of Bali now. Um, it's the floating head movie. Jeez. Whatever reference you'd prefer. It's like the game Headlander, where Francine's head flies off her body through a roof, okay? And it's so weird for a bunch of reasons. Uh, her head's kind of got this, like, emotionless, robotic look to it where she's just kind of Mona Lisa smiling. Her voice, she goes, like, when she's up in the air, she goes, mine is the weather fine. My, my, but it's a lovely day. Yeah, my, but it's a lovely day, but she's got this weird echo filter on her voice. Yeah. Uh, and then she falls in this kid's backyard. First appearance of the kid with the red hat who is uh, going to become a background regular. 
it was just kind of it's kind of bizarre. I, I know they like to have fun with these dream sequences, but this one's all this one borderlines on grotesque. There's a couple of things that I wanted to make note of in here. Uh, first of all, uh, <laughs> the thing that sets her off is that they're in class with Radburn, <laughs> and I don't and like I don't get this at all because like. <laughs> All Mr. Ratburn says is like he's reading from a text and he says, they very soon came upon a griffin. And it starts to echo of just like a griffin. A gri-. And then that's what sets off Francine. And I noted that as her head pops off and it sails up to the roof and like into the sky, it seems that her body is filled with orange soda, which because it's like they're... I don't know. Share the metaphor they've been yeah, using. Yeah, yeah. So it's like she's filled with orange soda and her head is completely <laughs> popped off. Uh, so, I mean. <laughs> I this is th- what I'm talking about when I think they expect it, like, s- s- expect her to literally pop. Yeah. Like, I thought when you said um, Francine might get some grave physical consequences from keeping our anger inward, I thought maybe a popped blood vessel, yeah. an ulcer perhaps. Uh, perhaps, but literally her head popping off is something I did not expect. It's 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 pretty out there. Um, so then they appeal to Muff. They appeal to Muffy, who's her best friend, and kind of lets lets them in a bit on their deal that they'll be done by like Saturday at like what whatever time. And it's and it's right after the playoff hockey oh, game. Oh, the hockey games tomorrow. The proms tomorrow. The proms tomorrow. Don't you forget about me. All right. My name isn't Canada. <laughs> Sawyer Bush Cheney Jr. Like th- and this is where I, what I don't understand is that, you know, cut to them playing the game and like nobody's keeping score. Like we don't have a scorekeeper. Also, what playoffs? There's no official. It seems like they're just playing just regular old street hockey. They talked about this earlier too, like in the opener. I think Arthur mentioned something about Francine's the best player in the league. Like yes. what league? What is the governing body here? I don't know. Um we've taken this into question before when they've talked about their softball league. There yeah. seems to be a lot of like kid organized sporting events. Yeah. Which I don't know about you, Will, but I've never been able to pull off something so organized uh, at such a young age. I Usually kids would end do- up arguing about the rules. Nobody wants to talk about the analytics or like you need a referee or a teacher, a person of authority to sort of put all of this into practice so kids aren't just being like, no, you were out or you were out or you know, yeah, that like, was an illegal play. That yeah, was like, high sticking. I can't do it now. So <laughs> I don't know how they're doing it at eight so search me. Francine uh, was reading that rule book in an earlier episode. No, that's true. Uh, so uh, Francine is still meek during the game. She's still meek mill at this point, and you know, very much like she's a boss. She, she's she's uh, going through this whole game like really being overly nice of just like passing to other players, like politely getting out of people's way. Uh, or rather, pa- when I say passing to other players, I mean passing to the other team's players so they can have a fair shot. And they are just being sunk because none of them are quite enough to turn the tide like Francine was. And, of course, their team has heavy hitters. Like they're, they're, Their team is like kids who are a grade up from them, including Binky, who should be a grade up from them. Uh, so heavy hitters. They really need a Francine. And Muffy eventually calls off the bet, saying that she won. 
uh, Francine tries to like say, I think I should really last the rest of the 37 minutes or whatever the, whatever the heck. Binky collides with them and accidentally lands on the watch. And this, is, <laughs> and this is where we get it. We get like the big explosions, like Francine just quivering and then like the shot of like a building being demolished. It's the, it's the same building demolished shot <laughs> yeah. they always use. It's that stock shot, yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's like lightning. <laughs> yeah, li- yeah, lightning and then like a visual of her head like soaring through the sky. And then she and then she becomes unleashed. The beast has been unleashed, and she just. Uh, however, I will say the end of this episode does kind of have a bit of a compromise between uh, the two extremes of Francine. She plays incredibly aggressively, almost defying physics. There's a part where yeah, they're really like pinball, uh, like it's like multi ball in a pinball they're game. Like, they're like cricket whacking the ball into the net because like Francine's serving it up at like chess level and the kids have to like whack it downward into the nets. But there's also a part where like Francine literally scores with 10 balls at once, which doesn't make any sense, but it's she, a funny it's a funny visual. It's symbolism. She was mad. <laughs> so the compromise is that she's playing incredibly aggressively, but she is passing to other people to kind of let them do the assist. Which someone else gets a goal. I don't remember who it is, but Muffy does. Oh. And, and and Arthur does too. I think everybody does on their team. So they win the game, but, you know, basically at the end, you know, Francine's back to being abrasive. She speaks her mind and, you know, is able to kind of rein it in this time. Like I said, a bit of a compromise. Uh, and then they'd be like, let's go inform Big He's buying me a new watch. And then end of the episode. So there you have it. Francine has done her time as Meek Mill and has come back a changed person. Uh, and now a word from us kids. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't see this one. Okay. Uh, so this one is kids in a class who are writing letters to Francine, basically saying that, you know, she should be nicer to people. And the kids then act out scenarios where Francine can improve, like give her suggestions on how she can be nicer. To sort of people. playing the lake house, but with Francine, as opposed to Keanu Reeves from uh, the I don't future. Know, I don't know about that, dude. I think you would have to have seen this segment to uh, know that that's not exactly the reference. But I... Uh, there are letters in both of those things. Okay. Uh, I noticed in their letters, the kids are very protective of Arthur. Like they mention a lot that's like, like Francine, Francine, you were really mean to Arthur. It's like, you should not be mean to Arthur. And like, hmm, kids seem very protective of the title character of the show. So Arthur, very popular as Buzzfeed told us. Either that or the producers were like, this Arthur kitty is going to be huge. We need you to make sure you mention Arthur. Keep Arthur strong. When Arthur's not on screen, people should be asking, where's Arthur? (laughs) (laughs) And And now back to Arthur. And speaking of Arthur, uh, the second episode is all about him. It's Arthur, world's greatest gleeper. So before we started this episode, I I remembered what it was, but I kind of asked you, like, what do you think? What do you think of this word gleeper? So G L E E P. I had mis I had misremembered what gleeping meant. Okay. When I first heard, what is, what's the episode title again? Arthur, world's greatest gleeper. You you kind of you, you went like ew. Yeah, I thought they were talking about gleeking. And so I got confused. I don't know what that is. It's when people like spit water through their teeth. 
Oh. It's like a – It's no, no, no. It's not that. I'm sorry. It's it's like you spit water using your tongue. There's a way to like move your tongue around where it juts water out of your mouth in a stream huh. without you actually having to spit. It's called gleeking. Anyway, it's kind of gross because it involves saliva and bodily yeah, fluids. That's, that's, so that's why I that's kind odd. of recoiled at the idea of Arthur being the best gleeker. But – I was very pleased to figure out that I misremembered, and it's actually about gleeping. That would be a that would be a really really strange episode. <laughs> like I don't know how we tie in a theme with that. Uh, so I gotta say, right from the beginning, this opening is wild. My and, favorite opening, yeah, and, and I love it. Like I really can't say enough good things about this. So it starts off, and it, like, but the cold opening is basically a rumor chain. It's like one person, one kid tells one kid another thing, and then it's like a game of telephone. It changes. So I. I wrote down everything that we got here. So first off, uh, Molly of the Tough Customers like meets Brain at a locker, and she says, did you hear? Arthur gleeps stuff. <laughs> then it's Brain and Francine playing a basketball game. They face off at, at center court, and uh, Brain says, Arthur gleeps reams, to which Francine is confused. Then, <laughs> As I would be. Uh, now, gleeps reams... Uh, indicates that he gleeps a lot of things. Reams is, uh, it means a great deal of, oh. a great deal or quantity. Uh, just look that up for posterity. Uh, then it's them in the band room. Francine is talking to Binky, and she says, Arthur keeps beans. And then, this is my favorite shot of the whole thing. Uh, it's the tough customers. They're getting together in like a pregame huddle, and it's like, the shot is from below them, so you so you see their faces and their upper bodies. Sort of that Tarantino Tarantino trunk little, shot, little bit. And uh, the cat tough customer who uh, uh, keeper, I feel like his name is, or he was named in the previous episode as Keeper. I don't know if that's his name. Uh, he says Arthur's sweet on Francine, man. And then they put their hands in the circle, and you know Rattles goes break. And as they break, like the camera does like a circular rotation as it zooms in. It was cool. It was like something you'd seen in Edgar Wright movie. Uh, this whole thing, like what makes speaking of Edgar Wright, which makes this thing so entertaining and well done, is how it's cut. Like it's it's. A lot brisker than a lot of the intros we've seen. Like, a lot of the intros show the show with, like, a bunch of vignettes. Yes. It's like, look at what these people think about this and these people are saying about this. But this is the one that is edited so tightly that it's just got this momentum. It's just like – and it makes it that much funnier seeing just how much people are getting the story wrong each time. So it's it's just like, oh, this person gets it wrong. This person gets it wrong. It's a very stream of consciousness just following up on one one similar-sounding theme to to the next. Uh, uh, then it's to uh, uh, f- uh, Muffy, Prunella, and I believe Sue Ellen, who are playing jump rope, and they're, the rhyme that they're singing is, Arthur eats fancy spam. And then finally, we get to two younger kids, uh, you, know, you know, maybe first graders or something, on the baseball field, and one of them clearly has Arthur's voice, but <laughs> is just somehow deeper, even though he's younger, who says, hey, did you hear? Arthur gleeps spam. He's tough. And then the, we get another appearance of the kid in the the dog kid in the red hat, and he turns to the kid behind him. and He says, "Arthur gleeps stuff," and of course, it's Arthur and Buster trading baseball cards. And so the rumor mill has finally reached its way back to Arthur. And that's uh, that's a big theme of the episode is about rumors and the power they have. And so Arthur says, "You know, most people don't know how rumors get started about them, but I know who started this rumor, me." 
And you talked earlier about how the purpose of these cold opens are to get you intrigued for the episode to come. Uh, this one certainly did its job when Arthur turns to the camera and he goes, well, I know who started this rumor. Me. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? I want to know more. It's very interesting. Uh, okay, so just to get this out of the way, uh, I did a little bit of digging on Gleep just to make sure that I had the right the right thing. Of course, uh, Gleep, unlike what this episode will tell you, is not in the official English dictionary. <laughs> well, don't know. I th- I thought it was like a dictionary of slang or something they were looking at. Yes, but well, it well, it's gleep as, is listed as a slang term, which oh, okay. some dictionaries do have. So, I went to the online home of slang. I went to Urban Dictionary. Now, gleep gleep had way too many definitions as, as as many things on urban dictionary do absolutely so i decided it was a fruitless attempt especially when none of them had this episode's definition of it so i just decided not to even bother with them not to bog down the podcast with all of these all of these gleep defini- definitions i did look up the term of the word the excuse me the definition of the word gleeper uh, so basically to boil it all down gleep means to steal it seems to be a little bit of a meme that never caught on. It's one of those like words that adults invent for kids show that they think will be like representative of the culture. It reminds me of, uh, did you ever watch recess? Yes. So there was an episode where I remember TJ gets in trouble because he says this wamps. And like, so it sounds enough like a swear word that he gets in trouble and it's just like nobody I ever knew on the playground said this wamps. So it's like gleep is this schoolyard term that they just invented whole cloth, like really comes from nowhere. It's like how they used to call people in the 80s who played – well, magazines would try and label people who went to arcades in the very early 80s. I'm talking about like Space Invaders. Vidiots. Yes, vidiots. Like who that – ne- that never ever caught traction outside of like Time Magazine articles on what is a video game. I'm glad you did your research though because I was really befuddled. At, like, all of the slang they start throwing around, ream, gleep, like, all this oh, stuff. Oh, oh, well, well, and we'll get to more slang. Trust me. Well, I was like... But ream's not a slang term. It's it's uh, it's a very wordy way of saying a lot. So, I, was, I was just... So I was a, just conf- and which is, like, a brain thing. I was just confused as to if, like, they had made all of this up specifically for this episode, similar to Recess and Womps, or if this was actual like slang that kids in the early early nineties were saying, maybe when they were that age, nope. that I just had never heard about. Nope, nope. I can tell you. I can tell you. No. <laughs> the episode starts off with Arthur and Buster being a bit late to lunch, so then they end up having to eat at the tough customer table. This is where we get the introduction of the tough customers. So they are kind of the sort of the bullies of of Lakewood Elementary, but more just kind of the toughs, like the tough kids, uh, the bad kids a little bit, or at least as bad as the show will let them be. So they kind of go over there and there's like, they got that, uh, you know, the guitar, like the two chords of the guitar, like the kind of thing that will accompany them. A little bit of Binky's theme. Uh, So it's like Gray Dog, whose name is Rattles, and then the cat, who I'll refer to as Keeper, uh, even though I'm not sure that's his name, uh, like just throwing food at each other, just like just like not even eating. And then there's Binky and Molly, uh, the one in the jean jacket and the hair covering the face, who is who are arm wrestling each other. 
I'll say this now. Um, it's always we kind of a little bit weird to me to see Binky interacting with the tough customers. Yeah. It's kind of the story of the two Binkies, right? Because I'm so used to seeing Binky as a part of the main cast. Yes. Uh, and he plays a very different role when he's in the tough customers, kind of the, the go-between between the other kids' world and the world of the tough customers. We see it a lot later on in this episode. He's the middleman. It's like, he's kind of like Constantine. He's from two worlds. I was going to say he's going between gangs like uh, like somebody on Oz. Like, he has to be he has to be different people to fill different roles. Yeah. And, like, it's de- he's definitely a, there's definitely a, t- a, a Harvey Dentian duality to Binky of there is a, uh, uh, there's a very aggressive side of him and there's a much gentler side which we see both of and it does play into future Arthur episodes so it's a very interesting uh, type of character but you're right he's uh, much different in this episode than we've seen him before Uh, so Arthur and Buster kind of sit down and here we get treated to some more 90s kids slang yeah this is the version of the 90s with the Z at the end yeah really Uh, so the first one is that Molly says Hey, Binky, who's your friend? He looks like a goofus. And so, of course, the the first thing that I thought was highlights for children magazine, yeah. Goofus and Gallant, which is like Goofus is like, OK, so there's Doofus, which people did openly use and probably still do. So Goofus is just adding a G and it's just like a goofy doofus. And I mean, you wouldn't want to be a goofus. I've no. read those comics. Uh, Goofus is... But see, the tough customers would probably idolize someone like Goofus. That's true. They would not want to be... What's the other guy's name? Uh, Gallant. Gallant. Yeah, they wouldn't want to be like Gallant. He's a goody good. Yeah, exactly. He's the real Goofus in their eyes. (laughs) We get some great ones here. Uh, Like Keeper says, the dweeb, I bet he never skipped a Louie. Yeah, so what's that? Do you know what that is? I don't know, dude. Like, how do you search Urban Dictionary for Louie? Do you know how many definitions there must be for Louie? Skipped a Louie. What could that mean? Fill in the blanks. New segment. Fill in the blanks. (sighs) What does skipped a Louie mean? So, like, he makes it. He makes a... Skipped a Louie does not sound like a tough thing to do. Well, he makes a (laughs) definition. He looks... He makes a... Sorry, he makes a gesture that looks like he's skipping a rock. But I don't know. Like, what's a Louie? Skipped a Louie. Well, and, and and then there's an the, breaking someone's window. Could, I guess maybe. like throwing a rock through someone's window. Could be. Well, how about this one? We get even less information for what Rattle says. He says, "I bet he never pulled a fizzer." See, this is why I thought they were making them up. D- they were okay. Okay. Whoever said in their life pulled a fizzer? I, I pulled a fizzer. The only thing I can think of is that maybe it involves like a cherry bomb of some I, sort. I got a. I gotta see if these like show up any hip hop. This sounds like something that'd be in a rap song. You know what? We need to we need to get either you or our buddy our buddy Evan on yeah. that. This this sounds like Evan because- if, Evan if you're listening, uh, skip to Louie and pull the fizzer, uh, put Goofus in there, and of course, uh, Gleep. <laughs> the, dare you to make that into a rap? The, jam. Fir- the first people to break out the thesaurus are rappers, right? They try to find <laughs> all the different all the different nicknames, all the different slang terms because it's just more material to rhyme with. So right. I'm sure someone has talked about pulling a fizzer before. You got me, dude, but it was I, – I loved it. I like, <laughs> like I loved how stupid it was of just like, you guys have never talked to kids in your life. You and, knuckleheads. Or, yeah, you, you knucklebeak. You know what? That's actually a really good point. They probably haven't talked to kids. It's very it's, – it's a lot like – have you ever played the game Life is Strange? Yes. A lot of criticism about that game is it's all about teenagers, but the teenagers talk like nobody I've ever heard in my life. But I, I disagree in that particular criticism. I thought that the – I thought that the teenagers came across very genuine. 
Which is one of the only things I liked about that game. I, I mean, I guess. I don't think I've ever heard someone say out loud, ever, go F your selfie. Whatever. It's <laughs> it's it's a very Diablo Cody type of teenager, but I, belie- I believed it. Like I said, didn't like much about that game. That was one of the things. And then so Molly says, I bet they ne- never even gleeped anything. And then this greatest response, Rattles and Keeper just start like laughing and dancing. Like they just start this weird dance and like this triumphant like got him kind of dance. And like I don't get it. Yeah. I don't with, get with, it why we are the way we are. With the benefit of hindsight, the tough customers have a very similar problem as like the NWO in the 90s WCW <laughs> okay. where everybody remembers them as these like cool guys like remember the tough customers remember the NWO Hall and Nash they were such cool guys but yeah. then when you go back and watch that stuff they're, such they're do- all kind of goofy idiots they're all dorks yeah they're all geeks they're, like- all, ma- they're all making each other laugh <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me that Rattles and Keeper are like Hall and Nash just like popping each other uh, in, in the back like rattles doing the survey says yeah exactly score one for the tough customers <laughs> now that's a now that is a comparison i can get down with and then this is actually great because this is becoming a character trait or rather a character flaw buster world's best or worst hype man because uh, because he immediately pipes up for his boy Arthur, and he says Arthur's gleeped lots of stuff. He's gleeped more of you, more than all of you combined, <laughs> which immediately stops them in their tracks. And it's like Buster's mouth keeps getting Arthur into trouble. This is like the third time, and at this point, it's not like it's not frustrating. It's just like. He just he's he stands by his man. He's he's in for a penny, in for a pound with his boy. I guess, but this might be the most damning example because at least other times Buster has been kind of saying things that are true and they get Arthur in trouble. Right. This time Buster's got no idea what he's getting Arthur into. Gleeping could be anything from like doing smack to like killing a guy. Like yeah. we have, I mean, they're eight year olds, so it's probably not those things. But like. My man, if you're trying to pump up your friend, at least know what you're signing him up for. Why you always lie in. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so then they're just like, well, what the heck does gleep mean? And of course they go to the brain who looks it up. Before the, that, Arthur no. claims he's a gleeping machine. No, no, he doesn't. Oh, is that later? Yes, yeah, later. Okay, sorry. Uh, great line though, and we'll get to that. Uh, so they look. They go to brain. Gleep is not in the dictionary. <laughs> I repeat, it is not in the dictionary, but that's where brain reads it, where they realize that gleep means to steal. Um, I was going to write here that if this episode had taken place now, they wouldn't have gone to the library. They would have just Googled it. Googled. But I guess that's impossible, too. Yeah. So Arthur and Buster are kind of swapping baseball cards. And this was the point in the episode where I realized I kind of love the tough customers. Because <laughs> Binky, Molly, and Rattles come to – like. Uh, <laughs> There's so much in the next two minutes. It's so great. Like, so they come up to them, and uh, Binky says, Arthur, we want to talk to you at our headquarters. First of all, the fact that these eight year old, these eight or eight to nine year old kids have headquarters is great. It's, it's hilarious. And then uh, Buster says, I guess we can take our baseball cards with us. And Rattle says, the rabbit stays. Yeah, like he's in Goodfellas or something. <laughs> yeah. L- leave the gun, take the cannoli, the rabbit stays. <laughs> but Rattles is a made man in the t- in the tough customer familia. It's amazing. What's so funny about the tough customers, I think, to you and I, is that Sorry. like it's a kid's idea of a cool, tough person. Yes. But – 
us looking at them, like they don't seem tough at all. Right. Like there's a part where like the recess bell rings and he's like, the, so, okay, so I I know exactly what you're saying. I'm sorry to cut you off. I yeah. just I really want to get to that in just a second because they take Arthur back to the headquarters and they're kind of asking him about like the stuff he's gleeped. <laughs> Just like trying to like get a get a beat on him about his gleeping, and Binky wants to induct him as a member of the tough customers, and like invite them into their society. Like Rattle says, yeah, like it's just such a weird line. Invite them to our society. Like like all of a sudden, like Rattles adopts this mafia affectation yeah. out of nowhere, and then it goes away. Well, it's after like well, the scene. well, no, it's like Rattles' accent is fantastic. I think Rattles, Rattles is my favorite character of the tough customers, and no more was that cemented than it was here. With the line you alluded to earlier, is that the bell rings and Rattle says, "Let's split. Recess is over," and it immediately encapsulates the utter futility of this entire thing. Of just like <laughs> these are kids who are pretending to be like the Lakewood Elementary Mafia, and then just like, "Uh oh, recess is over." Yeah, for a bunch of ruffians, they sure are punctual. Yeah, they sure do follow the rules of uh, the school schedule. <laughs> Oh, my God. It's so funny. The tough customers kind of adopt Arthur a little bit as their own and begin to spread the rumor that Arthur's a big-time gleeper. Um, And so everybody's kind of looking at Arthur differently. Uh, That's kind of what ties into the theme of the episode. I kind of said earlier that it's like about rumors. It's also about reputation, how your reputation changes based on rumors and how Arthur is immediately perceived as a threat. Like he bumps into the dog kid with the red hat and like – Kind of just says, excuse me, and holds out his hand, like not to do, not expecting anything. And then the kid just says, like, it's all the money I have, Arthur. Please don't hurt me. And then he's just like, never had this taste of power before. That kid's having a rough week. Yeah. Heads in his backyard, getting shaken down for money. Yeah, exactly. And uh, then they're playing uh, 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 like kickball or something, and they're picking teams. And Arthur is the first picked by Molly uh, ahead of Binky. Because he's so he's such a such a tough gleeper, and like at this point in the episode, we're really getting into like like gleep this, gleep that. I'm a gleep. She's a gleep. Gleep you. Gleep this. Yeah, like, we're getting into Smurf territory. Yeah, it's it's really starting to get. It's all my gleeping nerves. <laughs> this is where we get the whole thing of just like because Binky kind of drops it again to Francine of just like it's like Arthur's a huge gleeper, and then Francine's just like hey. Arthur, Binky just told me that you're a huge gleeper, and I almost believed him. <laughs> and Arthur's kind of like aware that he's in the tough customer's ear earshot, so he kind of is just like, it's like, I'll have you know I gleep lots of stuff. I'm a regular gleeping machine. That's where he says it, yeah. And like I got to say, again, with the wrestling, the first thought I had was the wrestling machine, Kurt Angle. So it's like the gleeping machine, Arthur Reed, just with the with like the mouth guard that just says gleep on the teeth. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but a regular gleeping machine is just like, again, kind of mixing the seriousness and the futility in the same thing of just like Arthur talking about how he's like this serious thief. But with the term gleep, yeah, it just I think takes it takes all the edge out of it. This episode would have a very different tone if you like control replace were, gleep with steel. With gleep with steel. If everybody was talking about stealing, but it's still not that crazy because they're not talking about stealing from corner stores or the kind of things you would expect kids to actually steal from. Like they're not taking candy from a, a corner store. They're talking about stealing weird, dumb stuff. Yeah, it, and which and we'll get to a little bit more of that in a little bit. Um, 
it's really stealing for the sake of stealing. Yeah, just for just for the fun, the pure rush. And then Francine gets really mad. She draws the line at gleeping. She's a rebel with a code. Yeah, a little bit. Like that's the line she draws in the sand and kind of like walks out on him. Uh, I found it interesting of just like to further differentiate the tough customers from Arthur's other friends. Uh, Molly calls him Art, the first kid who's called him Art. I, I got to say also, we've got an RD, but not an Art. An Art. Um, Arthur's a very versatile name in that way. Uh, you know, I want to take this moment, of course. You know, the tough customers love their design of just like the ruffian kids, and I love Molly's most of all. Like she's got the jean jacket, she's got the uh, the hair over her eyes. Like she looks tough. She and looks her, she looks the toughest out of any of them. I'd I'd argue her hair is really unique when you put her next to like other Arthur characters. Yes. Like the red and the cut of it, the way it covers her eyes really stands out. A lot of them don't even have hair. Like all the rabbits don't have hair. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but so it makes her really stand out. I also want to say your favorite is um, what's his name again? Ra- Rattles. Rattles is speaking of recess is dressed exactly like T.J. Detweiler. Dude, you're right with the backwards red cap. Now T.J. Detweiler is wearing a bomber where Rattles looks like he's wearing sort of a faux leather kind yeah, of jacket. Yeah, kind of, but it's very similar. That's a, yeah. good, that's a good catch. That must have been the uniform of a cool kid in the 90s, yeah. the backwards baseball cap oh, and the jacket. Oh, dude, it totally was. I wore backwards baseball hats all through elementary. I, I loved it. That was my thing. At the at, at lunch the next day, they're in the lunchroom, and Arthur is at the tough customer table, and we get, get some great dialogue here of just like uh, Molly wants to know how Arthur gleeped Mr. Ratburn's socks like I heard they she says I heard they were full of holes and we get this amazing delivery from so Rattles. Rattles says exactly what I was thinking. Right. Because cuz Molly's yeah. asking Arthur. She's like, "So, what's the deal with Mr. Rapper and socks? Were they full of holes or what?" Yeah. And I'm thinking, "Molly, like Mr. Rapper's not going to have socks with holes." And then Rattles goes, he he says, Mr. Ratburn don't wear no socks full of holes. He's a very upstanding kind of guy." <laughs> God, Rattles I love, does, Rattles, love Rattles so much. Rattles talks like he just walked off like a Martin Scorsese film. It's really funny. <laughs> just with far less profanity. But yeah, no, it's hilarious. And then all of a sudden, like, <laughs> so Rattles and Keeper kind of start going at it again, like throwing food in each other's faces. They just start fist fighting on the floor. Like, this lunchroom is the Wild West, man. Like, there's no rules. It's a savage land. You need to have your crew. It's like Mad Max or something. I don't know about the lunchrooms you've been in, but in my experience, that's not too far from the Di- truth. Didn't have a lunchroom, my dude. So uh, I don't know. I don't exactly know what it's like. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then Molly's just like, "What I want to know is how you got them off his feet while he was sleeping." <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the punchline. So Arthur kind of feels a little bit isolated because, of course, he can't really connect with the tough customers. And Francine and, by proxy, his friends have kind of abandoned him because of his reputation. So then in comes uh, the return of Mrs. McGrady as the sagely Bostonian figure in this in this story, kind of uh, uh, counseling Arthur here because he's just kind of thinking and is trying to uh, have someone relate to his story. And like her accent really thick here. She's like, I'm sorry, Arthur. I I don't have the slightest idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like, and, but uh, I mean, I appreciate it. It made her very distinctive. And this was another great way of kind of making Mrs. McGrady a distinct character within the school, as we'll see a bit later. It's also funny because you're not used to that accent delivering mm. the sort of advice, advi- not to say anything uh, bad about people from Boston with yeah. that accent. Uh, I love Boston. But I-, I wasn't used to hearing that sort of like Taoism 
sort of the the spirituality that Mrs. McGrady's talking about with her meditation and yeah, stuff. Yeah, you're, typ- you're not used to having that accent with it. Your typical Bostonian character is a little bit of a uh, more of a loudmouth, I think, and less intellectual in media. That's not to make any aspersions about Boston or the area. Um, so then Muffy comes up dragging uh, Principal Haney by the hand to accuse Arthur of stealing her cellular phone. I wrote down here, Muffy had a cell phone in the 90s. She deserved to get it stolen. <laughs> what is she, eight? Well, see, here, I, oh, gosh. here's what confused me is that she's accusing Arthur of stealing her phone, which which is where she kind of says to Principal Haney, everybody knows Arthur is the biggest gleeper in school. And this is where Principal Haney becomes aware of like what gleeping is. And then what happens is that Muffy's like pounding on the table, like like saying that Arthur should be this, should be that, made to eat this or whatever. And then suddenly cell phone rings in her backpack and she answers it. And so my question is, so was she lying or did Muffy just forget that it was there? It, she forgot. It, she wasn't lying. The okay. I think what's supposed to happen is that Muffy lost it. It's like when you when I've lost my glasses by having them on my head or something. Right. Um, and because, or like pencil behind the ear. And Muffy's the type of person where she's not going to blame herself. She's not going to be like, I lost it. I'm a crosswire. So what's the next best thing? Who's known for stealing? It's Arthur, the master thief. Sly Cooper himself. Hmm. Uh, So then we get Arthur in Mr. Haney's office for some more hashtag Haney. Goodness, I love this. This is pretty pretty special. Speaking of scenes reminding us of like certain directors – uh, in the same way Rattles like jumped out of a uh, Scorsese, uh, Scorsese film. film Mr. Haney's like out of that Coen Brothers scene where the Coen Brothers like love to put a scene in their movie where like someone has to talk to an important person in their office and there's always like a big desk and the important person delivers a speech with the exact same cadence that Mr. Haney does here stay out of Malibu Reed <laughs> stay out of Malibu deadbeat yeah but much less aggressive than that uh, just uh um, Mr. Haney kind of saying that th- there's so many great lines here. Essentially, the theme of the conversation is that, you know, he makes this very obtuse uh, declaration of why Arthur shouldn't steal and it, like doesn't really say anything of just saying that he will get in trouble if he's caught stealing again or if he's caught gleeping again. Excuse me. Uh, but he makes some like really great mini points in here that don't make sense, but are just like more of this odd character that Mr. Haney's shaping up to be of just like. Uh, first of all, he calls him the biggest beeper in school because he can't quite get the term of gleeping. Well, he says it – I think he says it wrong every single time until Arthur corrects him. Yeah. Um, he keeps like misremembering yes. what gleep is like I would if someone had just told me about it. Right. So uh, – and then he goes into, like I said, this very obtuse point about, you know, if people – you know, lied about what they did, then people would think the world was full of monsters and sea serpents and people would be afraid to go swimming, which is a shame because I love to go swimming. And it's like, well, how did we get here? Like, what, what's what's happening here, Herb? Like, Arthur is the audience surrogate in this scene because he kind of just looks, like, confused this whole time as Mr. Haney's going on this rant. And it's interesting because Mr. Haney is essentially delivering the moral of the episode, but the joke is also that he's doing this in this, like, out-of-touch, long-winded way that yeah. adults tend to communicate to kids. And so it's kind of all flowing over Arthur's head. Yeah, when I think about it right now, it's summed up much better at the end of the episode uh, anyway, we'll, we'll get to that. And then, you know, he he says, like, bleeping and blorping, uh, you know. But at the end, he just says, you know, I warn you to stop immediately because you will get caught and then you'll be in deep trouble. So that that's kind of the, like, 
the hammer coming down there. Love the scene. It's all very Hudsucker proxy. <laughs> so Arthur leaves the office, and uh, this is like another great interaction with the tough customers here because they kind of come up and are just like, like, so did you get in? Did you get in trouble? And he's like, no, he just let me go. And then they're like, all right, did you tell him where to get off? <laughs> Molly, Molly says that, and then another fantastic rattles line. And he does it while kind of punching the air. He's like, you old con artist, I bet you, you had him going in circles. <laughs> like, what, he was beating him up? And, but you know what? Uh, that's my new way that I want to greet people is like, when you see somebody you haven't seen for a while, just go like, you old con artist. <laughs> oh, it's so wonderful. You know, Arthur is going to tell them the truth. He he wants to get out of the gleeping game. But then Binky jumps the gun a little bit and he says, I bet he sold out on us. This is when we go full on departed. Like yes. They accuse Arthur of essentially wearing a wire. Yes. And he say, you know, it's like, I bet he told us everything about us. Otherwise, how come Mr. Haney didn't punish him? <laughs> Which is solid logic and then they, and, they, and they feel very betrayed. Like right away, Molly's like, you didn't. Did you? And, and Brattle's like, you little cheat. You little squealer. <laughs> And so, and so they muscle, they kind of like muscle him a little bit, and then they're just like, well, if you're so, like, if you're the world's biggest gleeper, then prove it. You have to steal all, you have to gleep all the ice cream bars from the cafeteria. Which at least, this is the first time they actually benefit from the things they've gleeped. Like, stealing Mr. Rapper and Socks really doesn't serve a purpose whatsoever, uh, besides giving you that adrenaline rush. Exactly. But stealing all the ice cream bars, hey, I can go for an ice cream bar right now. So Arthur uh, sneaks into the dimly lit kitchen area uh, to steal the ice cream bars. And is like opens the fridge and is just about to do it. He's like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then Mrs. McGrady is right behind him. She's kind of meditating on top of a table and kind of gives him a, a bit of a quote from Lao Tzu. A little bit of a, a little bit of a Taoism there, mm-hmm. and so as you mentioned earlier, I, I didn't want to get into it a couple minutes ago, but let's get into it now. Of how Mr. Haney, like you said, delivers the message of the episode, but he does it in a very kind of wrong-headed and vague way that doesn't like tell Arthur anything. It's roundabout. Roundabout. So that's Arthur being told what the message is. But what works so well here is that Mrs. McGrady gets Arthur to tell. Her the message as she as as it is to be understood like she kind of says you know he says well I guess you better take me to Principal Haney now and she says well, why would I want to do that and he says because I was going to steal the ice cream bars and then she just goes and and that's against the law why well I guess if everybody did it then there wouldn't be anything for anybody so it's wrong to do it and so she lets him come to his own conclusion and she leads the conversation which is exactly the way you want to do it is that you don't want to tell kids like what is well it's like you want to tell them what's right and wrong but they to make it stick they have to make their own conclusions they have to bring it bring it to their level and that's what mrs mcgrady helps arthur does like a great educator that's right the it's almost a lesson for parents watching the show Mm because the important thing to take away is arthur coming to those conclusions himself him figuring out okay why is this wrong uh, what have I done wrong here and, and why is that? The one thing I, I I do think this works, like this speech Mrs. McGrady gives works in the context of this episode and as a kid's show. It is kind of an – looking back on it as an adult, it's kind of an oversimplified view of the world. And yeah. I think it also kind of misses the point in a roundabout way. Like it's like, oh, I guess I shouldn't steal because – 
that negatively affects me because if everybody was stealing, everybody would be stealing from each other. Right. But really, shouldn't you shouldn't steal because it's just kind of a mean thing to do. Right. But that's me really nitpicking. Yeah. Uh, it's almost not worth mentioning. The, it's almost splitting hairs in a way. The, it, it works great in the context yeah, of this the, episode. And the general overview of it is is pretty spot on. And I, I must say, there's a great panning shot from when like from like Mrs. McGrady over to Arthur, and I love the angle that they used. I thought that that was a very well well shot or a well animated uh, uh, shot there. You get a great view of those scrumptious ice cream bars. Yeah. So, you know, Mrs. McGrady says, in that case, why would you why would you steal the ice cream bars? And he said, I guess I wouldn't. And he said, but the tough customers are going to pulverize me. What do I tell them? Uh, and so she says, you know, if, if you told them what you just told me, I'm sure they'll understand. This is cut, my favorite moment of the episode. Cut immediately from <laughs> Mrs. McGrady to an extreme close-up of Rattles' mouth as he just yells, you big liar. And then and then zoom out. It's it's um, it's Rattles kind of on his knees over Arthur's back, and he's bouncing a ball against his head, like menacing him in this oddly childish way. He just says, you lied. You're just a lie liar, you big lying lie face. But this is another funny, like, look at the internal contradiction of the tough customers, is that they seem more hurt than angry. Yeah, really. Like, and, they, it's and not that, that they're mad at Arthur. It's just that they feel betrayed. And then going from the most, like, obtuse way of... Of summing up the, uh, the summing up the the lesson of the story is going to Binky, <laughs> which is like again the kind of inner contradictions of the tough customers. Uh, he just says, "Well, I hope you learned your lesson, Arthur." And it's like Binky Barnes is saying this as he's like sta- towering over Arthur, and Arthur's being held against his will, and he's got this like solemn manner of speaking. Yeah, and he's, and he's like, like, "Well, Arthur, I hope you learned your lesson," which is which is namely never to lie, <laughs> because when you lie. Well, you are doing a very, very bad thing. And I'm like, oh, boy. Like, talk about the last person you want to be preached to is Binky Barnes. But it's it, it kind of – it doesn't come across as, like, uh, like jarring or anything. It comes across as funny. And I really enjoyed it. And so then Francine kind of comes up and says, uh, Arthur, now that we know that, you know, we know that you're not a gleeper, I'm not mad at you anymore. And then – Buster's like, hey, want to play kickball? And then Rouser's just like, yeah, sure, come on, Binky. Like they, like they could, they could not care less at this point. Like they just kind of give it up. And then Francine says, I'm not mad at you anymore. And they kind of walk off and happy ending. Everything's back to normal. All right, so uh, Meek Mill for a week and Arthur, world's greatest gleeper. So let's start with uh, Meek for a week. Uh, Lucas, what'd you think? Francine did not get a crib she ain't ever stay at, but uh, I actually I I liked this episode. I think. Uh, both these episodes have the perfect balance between comedy and the lesson. Uh, I liked I liked the sort of framing device of this episode with the watch ticking by, and I thought it was really funny watching Francine struggle with not trying to be angry. But I also thought the lesson of that episode was good as well, whereas it's like, okay, be nice to people, but also don't be someone you're not. Yeah. Um I thought it was pretty good. Like it, it like kind of a good not great situation of like yes, I think that it was a um you know, it led to plenty of good moments of, you know, comedy of making of Francine's uh like incredibly huge contrast of the two sides of her personality. Uh, and I thought like you said, a uh, great um great shout out to Francine's voice actor for uh, being believably fake 
but also genuine as the character. And I think that that's a really big juggling act to do. Um, I, I, I just think it personally didn't connect with me a whole lot. Uh, that's not to say it couldn't with anybody else. Uh, and I don't know. It just kind of kind of at the end, um, it, it, I, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It just kind of didn't do much for me, especially in contrast to the second half of the episode. Mm-hmm. I also think like you don't necessarily uh, empathize with the Francine character as much. Yeah, I mean to be to be honest that is true. I'm real I'm I'm trying to more now that you know I'm a fully grown adult and you know I can see things in kind of a shades of gray scenario. It's like and and in this in this episode I feel like I was able to. Like Francine was the most abrasive and in your face that she's ever been, but I can kind of see where it comes from at this point. It's not like if this were the first episode it would have been an extremely bad start to Francine, but it's like I kind of understand where it comes from. It's like Francine has a type of character where she wants to be the best. She's a very she is a very type A personality to a fault. And she is young enough where that can really get her into trouble or like really set the wrong foot forward to her. So it's kind of like she's a kid and I'm confident that this would be something these would be qualities she would grow out of, especially at the end of the episode when it's kind of like the best thing you can do is be a compromise. It's like you don't have to be super nice all the time, especially if that's not who you are, but you do kind of have to have a basic amount of respect for the people around you. And the other reason I think it works is that it's not so much that Francie needs to stop being maliciously mean. Like that's not sort of her game. It really is that she has no filter. Yes. So she'll say things that – People, you really shouldn't say to other people because it hurts their feelings. But that's not her intention. Yes, she, she needs to. She needs to understand that her words have consequences. Mm-hmm. Her actions have consequences. So yeah, no, I'm not saying at all that this episode didn't work. It's just kind of, and it was, good, like I said, good, not great. Uh, it didn't connect with me in the same way that it did for you. But there's there's really nothing wrong with it. Now, worth, worth looking up for the. Head popping off oh, sure. alone. Some of the surreal imagery oh. is really out there, too. Really got to give props to the animation department for that one. Uh, now, Arthur, world's greatest gleeper. Like, upon review, like, when I watched it, I was like, I really dug that. Talking about it may be one of my favorites of the season. Like, my my goodness, my gracious. Like, we talked about at the very beginning, like, the int- the interesting start to the episode. Like, it's an interesting take on the whole, you know, kind of trope of, like, using rumors as a bad thing in, in, kids, in kids TV. And then kind of spinning it in a different way and then doing it with these really colorful characters that you introduce with the tough customers. And it made for a, a really engaging uh, 10, 11 minutes. Like I, I like I was I was laughing I was empathizing with Arthur, and kind of being in that position of wanting to be cool but also like, you know, facing the dilemma of do I be, do I betray who I am to be cool or do I you know tell the truth and stick to my guns? It's it's kind of a tough lesson to learn. And again, I really have to commend the episode for in the end having the main kid character come to the conclusion himself instead of it being directly imparted upon him and him taking it as gospel. What's so great about it is it's a perfectly balanced episode in so many different ways. There's a perfect balance between comedy and message. There's a perfect balance in how quickly the episode goes by. It doesn't feel rushed, but it doesn't feel long and drawn out. Like the the story is given – 
the exact right amount of time to breathe, but there's sequences in it that are cut really quickly and snappy. Yes. Uh, the dialogue is like – it, 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 the tough customers themselves are balanced. There's a they're a perfect mi- mix of cool, quote unquote, cool, and just goofballs. Yeah, uh, with, it's with, awesome. With a few human traits, kind of like put in there as well. And That's right. They're not just caricatures. Th- there's a lot to be developed on in there throughout the series of Arthur, and I think they're a really fun uh, secondary addition to the kind of background characters. Uh, and I'm, I really look forward to seeing more of them, especially my boy Rattles. They definitely add an extra bit of color to the world of yes, Elwood City. Absolutely. So I would say from the both of us, this this pair of episodes is a definite recommend. Uh, maybe stronger for the second one. But I, I know I feel that the, these are both uh, ones that you should definitely check out. So thank you for checking out Elwood City Limits. We're back for 2017. And uh, let me just quickly list the ways that you can get in touch with us. We're back uh, – Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Give us a like over there. That's where you can interact with our posts, letting you know uh, what day is recording day, uh, where you can uh, see all kinds of links like the uh, the BuzzFeed article, the uh, Eminem Arthur mashup, and of course, even more Arthur content that we can cull from the World Wide Web. We got to get a Meek Mill mashup. <laughs> um, we've got Twitter at ECL Podcast. Follow us over there. On Tumblr, you can find us, elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. Having a lot of fun with those re-blogs. And there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a darn great community of Arthur blogs out there, and I'm very happy to be kind of skimming the surface, and they've been very supportive as well. want to uh, say hello to the Tumblr Arthur community. And finally, if there's anything in the episode you'd like to directly respond to, well, we would love to talk to you about it. Limits at gmail.com is our email address. Do you have any more 90s kids slang that either took off like wildfire or just completely was dead in the water. Do you have any feelings on the tough customers uh, about gleeping, about Meek Mill? <laughs> then let us know. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Even if it's uh, if it's criticism, if it's uh, compliments, if it's anything like that, please let us know. And as always, the ways that you can listen to the podcast, SoundCloud.com slash ElwoodCityLimits. We upload the podcast there first, so you can listen on the World Wide Web. But if you'd like to have it on the go, we recommend that you subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you like this podcast, please give us a favorable review and star rating. It really helps us uh, reach more fans of Arthur, which we hope to do into 2017. That's a bit of our resolution for the year. We want to reach more people who love Arthur. And to do that, we need your help and we would love your interaction. All right, that's it for me, Will Young, for another episode of Elwood City Limits. I'll just give us a quick preview of what's to come next week. Uh, Lucas, uh, have you been uh, ha- have you been well lately? Have you been feeling okay? Yeah, I haven't gotten the twenty seventeen the twenty seventeen cold. I know spring's far away, so I don't have hay fever. Well, Lucas, next week you better keep the Robitussin on standby. You better uh, uh, take some echinacea because next week we are licensed to ill with two episodes based around the theme of being sick. It's Arthur's Chicken Pox and Sick as a Dog. Oh my goodness. So finally getting to Arthur's Chicken Pox. I was wondering when we would get to that. That's a that's a classic season one episode. I'm sick as a dog. I, I smell another pal episode coming on. <laughs> Lucas, any final thoughts? Will, are you as impressed as I am at the durability of brick? All right, Lucas, let's split. Recess is over. <laughs> for Lucas Mancini, I'm Will Young. Thank you for joining us for Elwood City Limits. All right, tough customers. We're out of here. 
And next time you see us, you old con artist, the rabbit stays. <laughs>